On this episode of Intent Topics, we have special guest Rodney Foreman, who will be chatting with us about his experiences building and managing global channel programs. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Today, we have a special guest. We have Rodney Foreman. Um, I am excited to have him on the show. It's been kind of a stop and start, so you've been a busy, busy man for the last couple of weeks. Um, So Rodney, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Hey, Logan. Thanks so much for having me on this podcast. I'm really thrilled to be joining you today. Um, You know, my background has been, um, over the past 15 years, really focused on growing channel businesses with software companies. And um, I'm pleased today to join you to talk a little bit about my experiences and uh, my thoughts and perspective on growing a channel business uh, with software companies today. Fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's a, I think it's an important topic. I think there's a lot of, a lot of nuance and a lot of disparity between, you know, good and, and not good. Um, so I'm excited here. So um, how, talk to us, you know, kind of build some context here. Talk to us about how you kind of made your way into the roles and some of the like foundational experiences that you had, you know, before you kind of went into the, the leadership space. Well, I started my career as an engineer and then uh, a network architect and got into product management uh, with a software company. And that led me to an OEM leadership role where we were driving business with companies like Cisco to embed our technology into their solutions. And that was my entry into channels. And um, I led the largest channel business, software channel business at IBM, the middleware and cloud business. And uh, that was a global leadership role and um, almost $2 billion software business in the channel. And um, I've fallen in love with that role and working with partners around the globe. Um, I really like the model where when you allow a company to be successful with your products, you create a win-win and um, right. I've, I love, you know, being a part of making partners successful with a company's software products in the market. Oh, cool. Nice, nice. So the um, I, I think there's there's a few different flavors that I've seen, um, you know, kind of like some are, are highly sophisticated channel partner programs. Um, some are, some are, you know, just not. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like what, what's the structure of the, the channel program that, that, or, or channel programs that, that you see really like work? Um, and then, and then why do you believe that's so effective? Well, I, I think that, um, what happens over time with most software companies is the program evolves and it becomes too complex, frankly. Um, yeah. You shouldn't have to have a PhD in somebody's channel program in order to <laughs> maneuver it and make money. Yeah, uh, sure. Right? I mean, a, a really good channel program, you should be on floor one 
of a 20 story building and hit, you know, the button for 20 and in that elevator ride, 20 floors um, in a average speed elevator, be able to explain how to um, work someone's channel program and make money yeah. from that program and leverage the program to be successful in the market. I think um, trying to have a lot of complexity in a channel program is not uh, something that's going to attract the the top partners in the market. And what yeah. I've seen is successful you know, indirect sales models that have a great channel program is those programs that empower the partner to be successful with your products and focus Mm -hmm. on achieving that goal. Um, So um, it's all about building skills, you know, getting a great number of partner sellers activated and having their mind share because, you know, partners that you work with today have choices uh, they don't have to sell your software product. They have hundreds of other software products they can focus on and sell today. So you have to make sure that you've got their mind share and gaining their mind share of a partner and a partner seller means, number one, you have the right uh, training programs to build skills, because if they know there's your stuff, they're going to sell your stuff. Right. right. Number two, it's about incentives and, and rebates. You know, what, what are you going to pay the partner in order for them to be profitable? Because they're investing in your business. So they need to be profitable with, you know, mm-hmm. what, they're, what they're selling for you. And also the program needs to be one where there's no channel conflict. You're actually working hand in hand with the partner to sell into the market and you're not competing against them. And in fact, you're sending them leads. Yeah. And, and what I've found is when you send a partner leads, that usually turns into, you know, five to 10 X the opportunities you get back in return. And uh, sometimes a lot of software companies don't get that. They don't, they don't understand that uh, passing leads and giving partners opportunity in turn uh, delivers, you know, five to 10 X more opportunity back your way. Um, so the, the, you know, those are some aspects of, you know, channel programs that I believe um, are successful in the market today. And it's just all about, empowering partners to be successful with your products. If you, if you think about it from that perspective, your program will be, you know, one of the best in the market. Nice. So, you know, I, I see, um, and, and I have some of my background in the, in the automotive space as well, which, you know, is kind of a weird parallel to the, to the partner, you know, trying to build that mind share and all this kind of stuff. So, um, one of the, one of the things that, you know, you, you kind of have, um, with that manufacturer partner relationship sometimes. And I don't know if you agree with me here is where like the manufacturer comes in and, you know, tries to like raw, raw, you know, build, you know, some excitement around their product and stuff. Um, but, but fails in a lot of other places to support the partner. Right. So, you know, there's, it's like, you know, here's the incentive plan. Right. But like, if there's no kind of clear path to 
you know, getting to that incentive plan, it doesn't matter, right? So what are some of the things that, that you've seen in like empowering, a, you know, empowering that partner? It sounds good, um, but what are some of the things that you've done um, or some of the things that you've seen done or like um, that, that really like, like tactics to, to actually empower that partner? Well, one thing that uh, works very well is making the certifications that you obtain um, from the vendor to allow the partner to, to sell recognized mm. in the market. So yeah. if you have a certification program that becomes well known that people can put on their resume and say, I've earned a certification in selling XYZ product. Um, that means they've gained some skills that are valuable that um, employers want in the market. So one thing that uh, um, you know I've always tried to do is is make the enablement that um, and certifications that are achieved by partners well recognized in the market is something that you know people want and and want on their resumes i mean for the longest time for example you know cisco having you know various cisco certifications on your resume was um you know something everybody wanted um Uh, You know, now it's evolved to, you know, VMware and and other vendors, um, you know, having that, um, you know, skill and and being able to say, I am a certified technician or certified seller of XYZ product and have, you know, have that um, as being recognized in the market as um, a skill that is um, valuable. Um, is something that I think is, uh, you know, really important, uh, that vendors need to achieve. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a background at, uh, I was at HubSpot and, um, they, they have a certification program. They've actually started working with some, some schools, uh, some universities and colleges. And, and some of these students are getting certifications coming out of college. It's helping them get jobs. It's it's really neat to need to see that happen. And that's smart, Chris. That's very smart. um, The earlier you gain that mind share, the better. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. companies that are going into universities um, and uh, making their products and and skills, you know, building skills on their products um, with students, college students, or, or even earlier, um, yeah, that that's very smart because you're you're very early in gaining that mind share in the market, yeah. Um, yeah. and that just builds brand awareness and extends mm-hmm. market reach. Um, and uh, so yeah. that's I think that's very smart for companies that yeah. are doing that. It's interesting because as a company, there is sort of a kind of a tipping point for where that is globally recognized, the certification that is, you know, and so you, it it has, there, there has to be like a a point at which it's recognized and, and that takes lots of people. Right. And so, cause like I could just, we could create a certification here at Union Resolute and be like, doesn't mean anything. So um, that's like, it's a pretty big ask, right. To set up that program and put that together. Yeah. Um, and if you couple your, your certification with things that are hot in the market, 
that's also something that's Ah. that's important you know for example in the software industry digital transformation um artificial intelligence um Mm -hmm. things like that are are very hot skills right now so if you associate your product certification with those hot skills in the market more Mm -hmm. people will want to obtain that um and therefore you'll have and inherently a lot more marketing and a lot more sellers in the market. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so like it kind of the growth hack, if you're looking to build that, that channel program or really expand that quickly, it's like align with the, you know, the, the hot stuff in the market and you might actually surpass somebody who's, you know, maybe their, their big certification they're celebrating is, you know, hardware or some infrastructure thing. Sure. So, Yeah, I've actually seen seen companies that actually have better products are not as effective because their competitor actually has more skilled people Mm -hmm. in the market. So you may have the best product, but if you don't have the mind share and the skills of people in the market, you're not going to be as successful. How, talk to me a little bit about like, what if they're, if, if you're in a channel and you're working with, you know, other companies as, as part of an engagement, um, how would, how would that work? Like, like or there's got to be companies that maybe ride the coattails of others mindshare. Um, have you, have you seen a lot of that where, you know, sure. Yeah. You know, like talk about that. Yeah. I mean, um, if you're with the the right partners who are the trusted advisor to the customer, mm-hmm. you may have, um, you know, a company that starts a project with a customer, yeah. but you, uh, another company can win that business just simply because they have the mind share of the right. partner who is acting as the trusted advisor. Right. So I've seen that happen many times where, um, you know, a partner from a competitive company has actually started a project, but a different company won the business because mm-hmm. they actually yeah. have the mind share and they have more skills within mm-hmm. the partner that's uh, driving mm-hmm. the project with the customer. Yeah. Um, I bet you have some pretty pretty crazy war stories about channel conflict and, and stuff like that. Have you had in your role, have you had to kind of moderate some of that, that stuff? Oh, absolutely. When you're a global channel leader for a software company, yeah, um, those calls come almost every day where, yeah. um, you know, but I'll tell you that smart salespeople, and I say this a lot and, and it's true, smart salespeople are the CEOs of their territory and mm-hmm. they are leveraging the partner as a free extension of their team. Right. You know, partners um, can can be a huge advocate and can extend your reach into your territory. And where you as one person uh, working a territory can only touch so many accounts, if you're leveraging partners as an extension of you, and an extension of your sales team, you touch many, many more customers. And the most successful salespeople in in the market are doing just that. They are leveraging the partners as an extension of them. 
They are allowing them to work accounts and drive sales. Um, and um, it uh, it's just a great model. You can make your numbers just yeah. leveraging partners alone if you do it right. Yeah, you almost become their sales manager. <laughs> they just don't work for yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what smart salespeople are doing. They are, yeah. um, you know, doing the account planning. They treat, you know, they treat the partner as a part of their team. Right. Um, and uh, it works very, very well. And for the company you work for, um, instead of hiring more and more salespeople to try to extend your reach in the market, which is very costly, right. um, just get more partner sellers. It, it's, you know, it's mm. been proven time and time again that the channel is the most profitable sales model you can have. So right. it, it baffles me some of these companies that have, you know, finance people that are just saying, well, if we hire more sellers, hmm. we, we will inherently uh, have more quota distribution and therefore the company is going to make more money. And, mm-hmm. and actually th- the opposite of that happens in that you only have so many productive salespeople. Right. You now have a lot of overhead and you actually have not effectively extended your reach into the market. So this notion that I'll just hire more and more salespeople and therefore I'll make more money um, is, a, is a bad theory. <laughs> it, it just it does not work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And all that comes with employees, you know, it's more than just them hitting a number. There's so much overhead and HR and, and, and all that and, yeah. and the attrition. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it'd be we talk a bit about on a different um, thread, but similar, we talk about kind of outsourcing, outsourcing sales outreach versus um, in-house. Right. And, it, and it's very, it's a very similar concept. Um you know, and there's pros and cons and it depends on your business, but it's definitely, uh, it makes a lot of sense to just extend your reach out externally. And yeah, just and you build a partner ecosystem. That's yeah. the other thing is you, you know, there are different types of partners in the software industry. So you mm-hmm. have resellers, you have, um, you know, if you're two tier, you're leveraging distribution and VADs. Mm-hmm. Um, the GSIs, Global System Integrators, great way to uh, get your product, uh, you know, in the market is leveraging GSIs and including your product as part of their solutions. And there's mm-hmm. more and more service providers right. uh, growing in the software market today as well. So it's important, you know, for a software company, you got to build a partner ecosystem and, you know, all types of partners in your program has to support that ecosystem of partners. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Not there, there's a lot of different ways to be a partner. Um, for example, uh, prior to my HubSpot days, I was an agency, but I, I really didn't sell much. I was just services. Right. And I had a lot of, you know, cause that, that partner ecosystem is pretty, pretty tight knit. Everyone kind of knew each other and everyone was like, how are you so busy? Like, what are you doing? Like, what's the trick? And I, I would just, I just committed to services. And at the time, a lot of people weren't doing that. Right. And, uh, and, and it, it just speaks to, to the need there. And it actually, you actually gain a lot of business because people need a lot more than just the software or the technology. They, they need it implemented. Right. And uh, I'm a huge fan of, of, of the service side of that. Yeah. Well, and a lot of companies, Chris, are software companies are moving to a SaaS model. So mm-hmm. 
with SaaS, you're dependent on the customer uh, renewing exactly their subscription to your software. And if yeah. you don't have good partners that are successfully implementing your products and making yep. sure that the customer totally. is realizing value from the product, yep. mm-hmm. they're not going to renew and therefore yep. you're not going to get revenue. So in a SaaS model, partners make the product sticky, right? Exactly. They, they make yep. sure that you're going to get that renewal every time mm-hmm. and that the footprint is going to grow. That's the other thing that smart that's, that's software true. companies are doing today is they are creating a platform and then um, they have multiple products that sit on that platform. And mm-hmm. what that allows you to do is establish a foundation in the customer environment and then sell again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And then your footprint and the amount of revenue you're obtaining from customers grows um, over time. And that's just very attractive to Wall Street. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just uh, a great way to, um, you know, have a sustainable reoccurring revenue business. Yeah, that's huge. So it's it's. um I love that point. I, I lived and breathed, you know, retention for, for several years. Right. And yep. um, it was very interesting to me that the sales team and the services team, this is internally, right. That they're so different, right. Because they're very much uh, the, required of each other, right. Like you need the new business sure. and but then you need the success and then the cross sell upsell motion can happen. And then you just have to retain um, and it, it's, it's very complicated, but those things need to be aligned and in sync for, for success. And you're right. Wall street is very, uh, aware of, of the value of retention, uh, at these SaaS companies as they're figuring out how to, how to value these companies and right. et cetera. Well, and a lot of companies are now creating these customer success teams. And the mm-hmm. reason why they're creating customer success teams is because of what you just mentioned. The sales mm-hmm. team and the services team are not working in harmony in order yes. to make the customer on an ongoing basis successful. The sales right. guy is, you know, moving on to his next customer, trying to meet yep. his quota. The services yeah. team is, you know, poking the the closest alligator at their feet, and yeah. nobody is working with your install base to ensure their success. Exactly. So then, yeah. the customer success teams emerge. And what's yep. what's funny to me as a channel guy is, you know, why aren't you leveraging the partners? to drive customer success. It's a lot lower cost um, and drive the benefit of customer retention into the channel, into the partners. And a lot of companies aren't doing that successfully today. And it just baffles me why they're not. Well, I know. And it, go ahead, Logan. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I I think like, um, so you talk about um, you know incentivizing and the different ways to keep mindshare in the in the sort of the the front part of the process, the sales process. Yeah, are there ways that you've thought about or ways that you've done to like incentivize? Because if I'm the partner, it's almost like the sales guy, right? So, mm-hmm. are there some ways that that you've seen, you know? Uh, yeah. Like the, the the sort of incentivizing of the retention part of the process? Absolutely. Well, 
partners also want that reoccurring revenue, right? The same sure. as software companies do today. So if you you pay them on the you know that reoccurring revenue, um, then they have a vested interest to make sure the cu- the customer yep. is um, successful with your products. Now, I don't believe in paying partners just to pay them. I believe that if a partner brings you a customer, they source the opportunity and they drive the implementation, they should be paid at a different level than if they're just fulfilling. Right. right? So there's different levels of rewards with that reoccurring revenue. But I do believe that partners should take part in that. And you can create programs that, incent them, but also incent them at the right levels based on their participation in the customer journey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Interesting. So if you were, um, I I think we're running out of time here, but if you were to hop into a company and you're, you know, you kind of had to build a partner program from scratch, what are, what are three or four of the things that you would really be focused on say in the first couple of years to get that partner program, you know, up and running and really, you know, really effective? Well, one thing that uh, a lot of companies do is they think that recruiting hundreds of partners is the answer to the, to the channel. And it's not, it's about recruiting the right partners in the market that align to your products and strategy And I think that's the most important thing about building a channel program is making sure you have the right partners. And, um, you know, knowing uh, the market globally and knowing partners around the globe, um, it can be very valuable to you if you get the right partners in the right regions. So that's kind of the the basics um, of a channel program is having the right partners. And it's not about an abundance of partners. Also, Mm -hmm. it's about empowering the partner to be successful. So as I mentioned, building skills and rewarding partners for building those skills and then a program that captures their mind share is very, very important. And you have to create a program that supports an ecosystem of partners. So you have to have aspects of your program from a business and contractual model that is attractive to different types of partners, or else you will not attract um, and build an ecosystem of partners, which is, you know, needed today. You, you can't just have one type of partner and partners are evolving today. You know, the resellers today in the software business are becoming service providers. Uh, VADs, the distributors are becoming aggregators of solutions, pulling multiple um, products together to create an industry solution. And that's where they're, they're obtaining their value in the market today. Uh, GSIs are also building end-to-end solutions, leveraging multiple vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are becoming more and more the, the, the trusted advisor of enterprise accounts. Mm-hmm. And all of those um, partner types are evolving and changing. You have to Make sure that your program um, evolves and changes with the partners. 
um, this one size fits all uh, approach and thinking that your program today is going to be the same five years from now, um, you're dreaming. It, it, you have to be able to uh, be flexible and make sure that your program adapts to the changing market and how partners are evolving in the market today. The other thing I'll add, guys, is um, measuring the success of your channel program is really, really important. And having the right KPIs in place to measure the effectiveness of your channel uh, is important because that's how you're going to get more investment in your channel program going forward. So keeping an eye on how much business, how many new customers is the channel bringing me? How much revenue am I obtaining really from the channel? And how many deals are partners driving end to end for me? And how many references, customer references are partners generating for me? Those are some KPIs you've got to have in place and have agreement from top level executives that these are the KPIs and these are how we're going to measure the channel um, or else you're going to have a nightmare on your hands um, trying to show that the channel is successful, you know, in your business. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So um, in, in the, in the experiences that you've had, um, have you seen kind of the, like, you know, obviously they say like what, what you measure is what you pay attention to. Right. So have you seen things where like the, 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 uh, sorry, the manufacturer is kind of focusing on the wrong KPIs or, or what are some KPIs? Oh, uh, you, you know, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It happens all the time where, um, people that don't understand the channel are, um, trying to to measure it and they measure it the wrong way i see it all the time um and yeah um and the thing with measurements is um there's a lot of aspects of the channel that you just can't measure there are some inherent values to the channel and then there's some implicit values so you can't measure for example um the fact that a partner um, started a project with a customer and they recommended your product as the foundation for that project. But then, you know, they didn't necessarily, you know, drive the sale. You know, there's value in that. There's great value in that partner touting your brand and telling the customer it is the best, but you can't measure that. So one thing, you know, with the channel that's tough is there's some things that you just can't measure that are just inherent value in the channel. And then there's some things that are implicit uh, that you can measure. And um, you have to appreciate both of those things in order to uh, um, uh, uh, really evaluate the value that the channel is bringing to your business. What do you, what do you, Rodney? What do you do when that goes wrong? Have you, have you seen that go wrong? And, and what, what, what would you do? How would you adjust? Well, it, it's all about um, marketing your channel success within the company, okay. and that seems to be an ongoing focus 
um, for most channel organizations within software companies today. You spend a lot of time marketing the success that you have. Mm-hmm. And frankly, nothing speaks louder than a win where right. you, you advertise that a partner has brought you a key win and you mm-hmm. just you know beat that drum uh, within the company. Um, and that Nothing speaks louder than a customer win that a partner sure. has brought you. Um, but it, it's an ongoing battle for channel um, you know, people today. People that are in the channel are constantly trying to show their value. And right. because, you know, because this term overlay is used a lot, mm-hmm. um, frankly, mm-hmm. a term I don't like too much, Um, there's this notion that the channel is just riding on the coattails of the sales team. Um, and, um, you've got to, you've got to get rid of that notion and you have to make sure that you're really showing the true value that, that the channel is bringing. And, um, I would personally try to get rid of this. Um, whole overlay term and, and notion because the channel brings much more value than that term implies. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, what, what, what do you, uh, what do you see for um, like, what are companies doing wrong in the channel? Do you, do you have any observations there? Well, there's, there's a lack of commitment sometimes, you know, with the yeah. channel, it, you know, they're not truly committed it has to be a part of your strategy. And, you know, when you create a go-to-market plan for a product, the channel has to be an integral part of that. The channel has mm-hmm. to be an integral part of your investment and in, in your strategy. If it's just an afterthought and, and you're just using the channel to, you know, try to make a little extra money or something and it's not right. an integral part of your strategy – it will not yeah. be successful. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's interesting. So. See, yeah. That's where I see companies go wrong is just, just a pure lack of commitment to the channel. And, yeah. and, and that's where it goes wrong. Yeah. Lack of authenticity even. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so that's like where, where, uh, you know, when the go to market strategy, kind of the, the marketing team needs to get involved or, or the creative team to, to get Absolutely. that material out out to the partners. Um, and, and that's really where like the sales enablement piece comes into to this, right. And the training and the certification, like that's gotta be thought about kind of. Yeah. In, well, in, and you mentioned marketing. Yeah. And you mentioned marketing when you're creating assets for marketing and you're creating marketing campaigns, you have to think about, well, how are we going to make this successful with the partners? Yeah. And do we have a platform, a marketing platform that our partners can leverage where they can apply their brand and promote our products? And, you know, marketing has to think about that and everything they do. You know, is this going to work in the channel? And quite often, again, you know, the channels and afterthought when it comes to marketing and it shouldn't be, it just should be an integral part of what you do when you're developing campaigns to make sure that those campaigns will work in the channel. So it's like there's sales and marketing alignment and kind of the next step after sales is basically your partner and they, you know, if your sales and marketing is aligned, but your partner program is not, then you've got an issue. Is that, is that kind of what I'm hearing here? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
yeah, yeah. that's interesting stuff. So, so where's this going in the next five to 10 years? What are some of the things that, um, that you're seeing, you know, changes like either in the tech of, of like sales enablement or yeah. you talked about digital transformation? Like what are, what are some of these things that you're seeing? Well, I think that there's going to be more OEM partners where, um, software vendors embed parts of technology instead of, you know, products in whole. I think Mm. there's um, an approach today with partners where um, you're trying to get them to embrace an entire product and, and embed that in their product to go to market. Why not take pieces of the product or key parts of your technology put some value and price on that and allow vendors to leverage that. I think you'll see more of that happening. Uh, yeah. I like think- a Twilio kind of play, like, um, like the API, you're talking about like APIs where, you know, you can kind of get a piece, but you don't need the whole thing. Um, exactly. That, yeah. Interesting. interesting. Exactly. And it goes beyond APIs. APIs are important. Don't get me yeah. wrong. APIs are very important, but it's about, um, allowing, um, uh, segments, if you will, or parts of your technology uh, to be embedded in other um, ISVs or, or software company solutions or even hardware company solutions. You know, I see more and more, you know, with Lenovo, with Dell, with Hitachi, Fujitsu and others where, um, you know, software is becoming the differentiator. Uh, for the hardware. So if you allow those hardware vendors to embed parts of your good software technology, it can add value to their solution. And I think you're going to see more and more of that. I think, you know, the traditional reseller will have to become a service provider. You're, You're not going to survive just simply reselling a product. You're going to have to sell a solution to the customer and you're going to have to have the skills and ability to implement that solution or you're going to get left, uh, you know, uh, behind in the market. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, VADs are going to have to be that aggregator of solutions, um, bringing together um, different software vendors' products to address an industry need or the VADs are going to be in trouble. Um, And the GSIs are becoming more and more important. And what's key for software companies with GSIs is to understand their strategy, their focus, and their solutions they're delivering to the market and being able to articulate how you add value to that. Trying to get a GSI to resell your software, you're wasting your time. Uh, you've got to be an integral part of their products and their strategy. Then they become interested in your product. And also you have to have the right business and contractual model to work with the SIs today. And, um, you know, in my experience, I've you know created some really good best practices with regards to business and contractual models um, that work with different types of partners today. And you really need to perfect that in order to have a successful channel. That makes sense. Interesting. Cool. So to wrap this up, what what value are you looking to provide this space? Because I, I can see there's a, there's a lot of passion, a lot of knowledge here. So, like, what what's the value that you're going to provide this space over the next five to ten? What are you working on, um, and, and that kind of thing? 
Well, I, um, you know, I've, I've got uh, a number of opportunities and, you know, I've been uh, consulting with uh, a number of companies um, and, um, you know, I think I'll, I'll, um, you know, either be a global, you know, channel leader for, for a company or potentially a CEO of a company um, that wants to um, really leverage the channel to grow and scale their business. So, um, I think that's what's in store for me, you know, in the future, um, you know, I really have, uh, gained a lot of knowledge and experience over the past 15 years being a global, you know, channel leader and built some, you know, long-term relationships with some key partners. And I hope to leverage those, you know, relationships and that knowledge, you know, in the future to, um, uh, do some good, uh, for the channel because it is a great, great model, for software yeah. companies that are looking to expand and, and extend their reach into the market. Nice. Nice. That's exciting stuff. That is awesome. So any, any last pieces of uh, advice to, to companies that are, um, you know, either struggling with their channel, looking to grow their channel, um, or even maybe thinking about whether or not they should, you know, uh, you know, build a channel program. Well, I think it's important to, um, understand up front what your strategy is and what you're trying to achieve in the channel and make sure that you have the right investment behind it. Um, you know, dipping your toe in the channel is not, uh, something that, that works. Um, you, you've got to be committed to it. And when you're committed to it, it delivers results. I've never seen a company that's committed to the channel and, um, implemented, a, a, a good channel program, it, it always delivers results. I've, I've never seen it not, not work. It, it, it if yeah. you've got the right level of commitment and investment, the channel delivers results for you. Um, so that, that would be, you know, my parting advice to, to companies that are thinking about, you know, growing their channel or establishing a more robust channel business is you need to be committed to it. You need to have a strategy um, and you need to make sure you're, you're prepared to invest and it will pay um, results. It will deliver results for you when you do those things. Very nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, well Ryan, thanks for the opportunity, guys. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to have this podcast with you. This is, this is an important topic today because companies are really, you know, struggling for ways to capture more customers, to grow their customer base and extend their market reach. And the channel's the way to do it. Uh, so this is an important topic today. Awesome. Well, Rodney, thank you so much for joining us on Intent Topics. Uh, this wraps up the episode for today. I'm Chris Battis. And I am Logan Kelly. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Please give us a five-star rating and follow us on whatever podcast app you are listening on. And we will see you next time. Take care.